0: Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Universe Podcast. I'm your host Leo, here with my co-host Charlotte. Hello. And our guest Andy. Hello. Hello everybody. Andy, this is your first time on the podcast, right? Correct. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. My name
1: is Andy and I study uh, English and History at the University of Vienna to be a teacher. But um, I'm also interested in the sort of linguistics and, and literature aspect of English. And after sort of coming into contact with your universe group, I'm now very interested in writing myself, not just reading, writing from other people.
0: Great. Nice to have you here. We're going to start with the reading. Mountain Impasse. Look, boy, when the wind howls, you
1: can see the shadows walk, Clever Jack said. Don't let them snatch you and drag you away, unless you want your little ass to fall off in the cold. All Tommy could see was whiteness. Now and again, he thought there was a rock, or maybe a tree, but the air was so thick with snow that he could never be certain of anything but a storm. There aren't any shadows, he complained. Better not look too hard, or I might just look straight back at you. They can smell your fear, don't you know? Are you having me on? Is he having me on? Clever Jack shouldn't lie to them, Tommy thought. If Clever Jack lied, then how was Tommy supposed to know what was real and what wasn't? He turned to the others, but Slick and Beryl only laughed. Among the three of them, Clever Jack had a reputation of being the intellectual. As far as Tommy could tell, this was because he had once killed the owner of a bookstore and spent the better part of a week trying to make a profit by selling his wares to clerics and scholars. Is the little boy afraid of the weather? Beryl patted his stomach as he laughed. Even some blind man could see how Beryl had gotten his nickname. I'm almost a man, Tommy squeaked. You think everyone's small, because you're too fat to see your feet sitting down he punched Beryl's gut, to no effect. What's that, little mouse? I think we've got a pest problem, guys. He kicked Tommy over with a heavy leather boot, and the three men were still laughing when the boy jumped back up and began to rub his backside. He left the cell swords to guard the entrance and retreated further into the cave. As soon as he turned, he noticed a pair of eyes. What are you looking at? Tommy demanded. The observer was set in between the priest and the merchant. He'd been with the merchant even before the salesholds were hired on, and he rarely spoke. Tommy hated his face. They had taken to referring to him as Adonis, and his was the most hideous face Tommy had ever seen. The man's mouth was a crooked gash, his nose broken in at least three places, bent down and then strangely off to the side, and one of his eyes only ever seemed to half-open. Enemy blades and some unfortunate childhood outbreak of the pox had left deep, jagged scars and craters all across his face and scalp. He had no hair on his head, but a coal-black beard sprouted randomly from small patches, creating a chaotic pattern of sickly pale skin, shining from beneath the coarse, dark tangles. He stared at Tommy across the campfire, and his obsidian eyes gleamed in the flickering light. Hey, I'm talking to you. Adonis said nothing. You mustn't be rude to your elders, young one, the ancient priest answered instead. Have these guardians of yours been teaching you no manners? Manners are for women and cravens, Tommy sat down by the fire and tapped the hilt of his dagger meaningfully. This is all the courtesy a man needs.
0: Uh, scene. <laughs> I really like the voices you do when you, <laughs> you read your texts. But
1: they quite frequently change from when I start reading the text to when yeah. I, I get further along.
0: Yeah, but I think you, know, you, you really did a... Like, it, it was really like... kind of go through long. Thank um, you. <laughs> I guess it's also just normal for them to change, I mean they you kind of settle into the characters as you read them. Yeah. It's just hard to remember. have <laughs> yeah, that too, I guess. Especially <laughs> if you come back to one you did previously. Mm-hmm. Is this the beginning of a larger story?
1: Yeah. So far, I've around five thousand words, and um, haven't managed to get to the ending quite. So I think I have to trim a bit because I like sort of short stories to be a okay. bit shorter than that. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your your usual average goal that you go for? I, it's sort of just. Happened that I usually went around 3000. Mm-hmm. So I and I kind of like that because I've it's very easy for a short story to drag I feel when reading them myself. So uh, I like a slightly brisker pace.
0: That's how many pages? 3000 words? From um, around 10. This is yes. 500
1: words with no spaces, uh, so with no uh, line. Uh, Paragraph. Yeah, um, and it is uh, about three quarters of a page. What
2: font <laughs> size? Uh, 12,
1: Twelve. and Times New Roman. <laughs> thing. Standard. <laughs> standard.
0: Thing. Okay. Yeah. So it's not quite finished yet. No, it's not quite finished yet. But um, you know where it's going. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's really important because you, when you ask me to, to bring a sort of introduction or beginning mm. for this uh, podcast. <laughs> I I thought that was quite cool because that's something I think about a lot. So I usually need to know at least sort of a uh, direction the ending is supposed to go because otherwise I can't. I usually try to sort of have the beginning few sentences uh, encapsulate the whole story in some way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then that that doesn't work if I. So I'm usually that's the second to last thing I do <laughs> after oh. uh, just before the actual ending. Okay.
0: Uh huh. You don't you don't have that
1: here yet. The actual ending? Yeah, yeah. That the first couple of sentences. Yeah, do Sort of, unless I change the ending. Oh <laughs> yeah, the the shadows in the outside. Yeah, I in can't. I can't really show you now, but yeah. So he, um, he tells him that you can see the shadows walk, and mm-hmm. it's both a sort of character introduction for the, the character of clever Jack messing with the little boy. The little boy, like, forming his worldview from the nonsense a few very irresponsible adults tell him, mm-hmm. and the sort of the idea that you are afraid of things that aren't really there. It's just shadows, mm-hmm. but, he, but he still says.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: So I like that a lot in, like, uh, sort of taking a long time to come up with beginnings, mm-hmm. which, yeah, which is why a lot of my starting sentences in stories are long and torturous because <laughs> I just want to put a lot in it.
0: Oh yeah, Which it might, might have to change. I don't know. Okay, but it's a, it's a cool it's kind of style element.
1: It's very, it's very common, I think. It's definitely something that has a lot written about it. Oh, okay. This sort of idea that you have a... It's, it's like academic writing where you start with a oh, yeah. thesis statement. And that is, like, if you read the, the seven basic stories or, or any of those works about uh, storytelling, then that's uh, often uh, recommended in some way. And I think it, it is elegant, but definitely not necessary.
0: <laughs> Do you read a lot about, like, works about writing? Yeah. I've never read something like that.
2: I have. Some of them are really good, and others are a bit bland, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, there's one by, um, what's his name, David Foster Wallace. Mm-hmm. And it's a small book like this, it's just very thin and very, just very small. and. He was asked to, to give a lecture in some American university about creative writing and he didn't know what to do because he said, I will I just write, I can't like tell you how to write because it's just it's writing. Mm-hmm. But then what he did is he gave a lecture and it's basically a philosophy, I guess. <laughs> but it's really interesting to read. And he also talked a little bit about writing, but then he kind of talks about other things. And then I read one by a German Uh, now Swiss author who writes about writing sometimes it's really interesting
1: Mm -hmm. it's definitely people who can write which helps Mm -hmm. because then it's not completely dull at least they know Mm -hmm. how to to change up the sentence length to keep it engaging and stuff like that
2: and I've read a fair bit on show and don't tell because I sometimes fall in the trap of telling more than showing and I've I think that's a very very useful concept mm-hmm. to yeah, show your readers something instead of telling them explicitly. Like, and now she bursts out into hysterical laughter. Like, okay, that's really boring. You could just describe the action without describing
0: the action. Mm-hmm. Just depict the actions. Yeah. Like, um, telling them. Her
2: mouth opened wildly while a sound mm-hmm. of roaring, I don't know, bells or something came out. <laughs> Interesting. And she held her her belly and tears poured from her eyes, something like that. I don't know, that's the same thing, mm. just not explicitly described.
1: Yeah, that's definitely useful. Yeah. Do you like often start using a lot of adverbs in your stories and then cut them out one by one and you replace them with more useful descriptions?
2: Um, I sometimes notice that when I, let's say I just wrote a chapter in a story and mm. then I read it again, and then I notice that I do that, and then I, or, or it's just a sentence like, and then she, or I put on my clothes or something. It's like a really boring sentence that has no, I mean it does have meaning, but it's kind of, so sometimes we need sentences like these because they kind of are necessary. But whenever I can think of a way to describe it more creatively, I try to do it.
1: Yeah, or or just like put in information that like adds to character building, like not you put on her clothing, but you put on her ridiculous pink and yellow polka Mm -hmm. dot, whatever. Now we know what sort of clothing style she has and stuff. Exactly,
0: exactly. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's something like that for poetry, but I doubt it.
1: There is definitely nothing like that for poetry. I
2: I even think that there are certain metaphors that have been overused in poetry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people try to find new ones. Sure. I think there must be books about them. Mm-hmm.
0: The only comparable thing I've read is um, guides on, on studying and doing history, like mm. there's the one by Umberto Eco. Mm-hmm. Mm. Have you? Did you? I had to have uh, yeah excerpts on Moodle mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when you began studying that yeah. and um, um, Lucien Febre's um, oh. entry lecture oh, as the a Collège de France I think. Or whatever, where he, you know, where he talks about the program of the animal historians. So that's uh, that's the closest mm-hmm. thing to to writing guides, I guess, that I know. Yeah, but the,
1: well, this is really a different kind of writing now. But if you like, look at old historians; they sort of they took that as an exercise in storytelling, like Herodotus and yeah, sure. the Greek yeah. masters of history. They basically did like if if something was too boring, they just they just went, well, this should be a lot more exciting. So battle and Noble king, and he's
0: incredibly tall and muscular. And, mm. and Tecutidos, who was the big idol of the nineteenth-century German historians, who were all about objectivity and doing air quotes here, uh, always put in like actual direct dialogue. Which you can't have History about. of the War. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, can't, he can't have been there. I mean, he was there for part of it because he was, mm. he was but he can't have been there for every single conversation yeah. that he depicted.
2: But I mean, it's always difficult to give advice because every writer is different and has a different way of writing. I mean, there are writers who have said that the only way they can write is if they set themselves a very strict routine, get up at the same time every day and write for four hours straight without getting up and that's the time they have to write. If they don't do it, then um, they never get anything done or never get anything finished. And then there are those writers who plan everything out in detail from the very start and then there are those writers who never plan anything ahead and then everything develops while they write. So yeah, I've I've had discussions with other writers who said, but you're not a you're not allowed to write in this and this way because that's not how it's done and mm-hmm. I was like, come on, it's like it's writing. Everybody mm-hmm. has their own way of doing it.
0: Yeah, fair. There's no one <clears throat> size fits all solution.
2: Totally. As long as the outcome is agreed upon.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, even if you like the outcome and everyone else doesn't, you can still keep doing what exactly. you want. Exactly. So totally I guess, right.
2: uh, Okay, maybe we should get back to your story. <laughs> okay,
0: we to your story. <laughs> you would be far from the story right now. Oh, well. But you, that's, you, know, that's, you never went far from stories, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what the podcast is about, in a way. You both did quite a bit. Stories of the universe. Oh, I see. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Could you tell us something about the setting of the story? Like, is it
1: uh, the it's,
2: world is it set in? How do they get there?
1: It's incredibly vaguely historical so far. Mm-hmm. There's there a total of one historical person um, okay. who show most probably, <laughs> No, I can name her. Um, mm-hmm. uh, who might show up? Uh, Matilda of Flanders,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, and so, oh well, two historical people. So Matilda of Flanders was the. Um, wife of uh, William the Conqueror Ah. but she had a previous lover Mm. whom she then uh, uh, well who who spurred her and whom she then threw in prison um, after she got married to the king and had all of the power um, and who died there and this is the, uh, I sort of got the idea to have him try and flee um uh, flee the country when he realizes that the wind is very much not blowing his way anymore. Mm-hmm. And now he uh, will be uh, one of those people and okay. possibly captured. I
2: see.
0: It's a
1: cool way of being inspired. Yeah. It's, it's as usually when I write historical settings, it is unlikely that it'll. It will remain accurate for very long.
0: Yeah, and also um, the style you have doesn't sound very historical. No,
1: I, the people just talk like, like, like I find it easy to understand
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> usually. The characters almost a bit remind me. Maybe that's probably because uh, it's the only kind of literature. Like, oh, well, I think you're right. Just, Let, let's hear it. It's a bit pressure right? Oh, I see. No. <laughs> yeah, because there's witty dialogue. Yeah. There's characters who are kind of, in a way, a bit archetypal, like the, yeah. the, the what's he called, Barrel?
1: Yes, an um, inspired nickname, I know.
0: Yeah, and also, like, Smart Jack. Clever Jack, yeah. Clever Jack, they're just this, you know, this group of mercenaries. I think this dynamic is kind of, uh, yeah. it's quite common also yeah, in the to me at least.
2: But, I mean, some of it... Is a little bit, I mean, kind of made me feel like this wasn't necessarily said today. Mm-hmm. Like that uh, one, the of the last, one of the last sentences that Tommy says: manners are for women."
1: This, yeah, but even earlier, I think.
2: I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, of course, we know that today there still are people who think that women should behave and stay. Well, Tommy is, and
1: he's and is a bit more pretty. progressive than that. He thinks women and cravings, So he's okay. No, sorry, so sorry. <laughs>
2: Um but yeah, that kind of gave me the feeling that
1: it might mm. be set
0: at a different time. Yeah. But also it's very
2: very suitable for today because we you know, with all that Me Too Yeah that was going on, it kind of
1: I don't usually trust myself to to uh tackle these issues very comprehensively. But I will pay them lip service, why not?
2: But I mean it is it doesn't have to be covered comprehensively, I think, just if if it's in there even a little bit mm. it'll Already opens conversation, I think.
1: Hopefully. And hopefully people won't identify with the sort of bigoted characters. Yeah. <laughs> How old
0: is Tommy? You said he's a boy?
1: I guess like 13, 14.
0: And he's already mercenary.
1: Well, I'm in my head, he sort of was adopted by them and is traveling with them. I don't think he does much of the fighting. Mm-hmm.
2: Let's hope not.
1: <laughs> maybe like I don't think they're very honourable fighters, probably. So maybe he like sneaks up behind them and slits people's throats or something like that. But <laughs> mm. <Yikes. laughs> also not very suitable for kids, I guess. No. no, but they they I think children did sort of have to grow faster in most historical periods that aren't like now. So
0: I really like how you set the mood and the characters in this piece. Like even though it's just one A four page or not even one not entire A four page. page, yeah. page. There's Club Jack, Beryl, Tom, the the man with the ugly face, the old priest.
2: Yes, about that.
0: There's five different very fleshed out characters. Yeah, and I think it's even already a bit long
1: because it will go on to describe the, the other two I've mentioned, the priest mm. and the merchant as well. So maybe I should sprinkle other things in between there.
2: Maybe, yeah. I love the passage about the man with the ugly face being called Adonis. Mm.
1: No, yeah, must.
2: Because that's <laughs> such a nice juxtaposition.
1: It's just being a bit dickish to him, I guess.
2: Yeah, but still, yeah. Like, that's something that people would actually do. I think. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I like
0: it. Do you have any influences for writing, and what do you read commonly? And yeah. do you see any influences in this piece?
1: I guess well. Uh, I do read a lot of Terry Pratchett, which, yeah, annoyingly you already pointed out and found. But I think this is much less comedic than most of his stuff. Uh, sure, at yeah. least it's meant to be. Well, let's see how it turns out. I also, in terms of fantasy, uh, don't usually like the sort of medieval fantasy, but I have uh, read The Song of Ice and Fires and really like mm-hmm. them. Uh, and, of course, The Lord of the Ringses and the Narnias. <laughs> <laughs> Narniases. Uh, more recently, I prefer the um, as a fantasy with a modern, more modern setting. Well, the urban fantasy mm-hmm. is what the kids are calling it. I think <laughs> so. Um, I really like. Well, of course, the, the Neil Gaiman, the Neil Gaiman, who does the the absolutely most famous of the urban fantasies mm-hmm. <laughs> to a ridiculous degree, really. But I also like the more comedic ones, like uh, like Christopher Moore a lot. Uh, who sort of just puts incredibly mundane um, situations and fantasy together, which I like a lot. Um, I really well, and of course the sort of all the comedic British authors like Douglas Adams, and the, although that isn't sci-fi and fantasy, but uh, uh, PG Woodhouse, who inspired him a lot, I think, was also a comedic writer who wrote who wrote about like the uh, Dickensian or Edwardian times. So like I don't remember exactly the times, mm-hmm. which is really fun. Uh, just sort of comedically, and language is really fun. Like, he plays a lot with language stuff like Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett. And I guess, what else in terms of modern fantasy? Oh, I, I really like um, Benjamin Croshaw, who also does... Is that not famous? No, it probably... I don't think
0: he is. <laughs> I
2: just so many
0: Fair enough. kind <laughs> of... I've stopped like, keeping up with the modern fantasy long, long time ago. Fair. It's a huge market.
1: He writes, like... what well, He started off writing a book about... Um, his obsession with World of Warcraft called Mog World where the the characters develop self-awareness. Oh, that's but funny. more recently, uh, so the the NPC characters, the non-player mm-hmm. characters in the game develop self-awareness, which I found very funny. And then more recently just uh, like does the same thing as um Christopher Moore does, which is having mundane situations, but look, it's a goblin or a vampire and it's funny. And mm-hmm. I think it is funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't usually even though those are the books I read, I usually prefer to try and write more seriously, mm-hmm. sort of more earnestly, but yeah, and as a few people have mentioned in the universe meetings, a sort of certain amount of base-level sass leaks through
0: mm-hmm. my
1: <laughs> earnest intentions usually, mm.
0: so... Have you always been reading a lot of fantasy?
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: And has that inspired you to write early?
1: Not really, no. I am much more of a reader than a writer. I, in, well, early, in when I was in seventh grade, I think, I did uh, NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you know what mm-hmm. that is? Yeah, it's famous.
1: One. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I um, wrote a uh, uh, 50,000 word novel, which was... And you see, my motivation wasn't entirely um, ideal because I finished after exactly word 50,000, yeah. so, uh, and this was, in, I think, a few writers have said, I don't remember who exactly this quote was, but that every writer has like a thousand terrible stories in them they need to get out, and I think I did, I did a lot with that one because it was just incredibly cliché, it was just a fa- incredibly cliché, the hero's journey fantasy story, and uh, <laughs> so good thing I wrote that now, and I don't have to again, I think. <laughs> So
2: is that then when you started to write creatively it well,
1: mm, the first time? Technically, yeah, but then I didn't continue to do it mm-hmm. until I I read your email uh, around to the Anglistics people. Mm. Oh, so you started
0: it writing again when you start number came, two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. came to the universe, yeah, that's interesting. interesting.
1: Which, yeah, so that, that was really uh, cool for me <laughs> because yeah. I sort of found that I enjoy now a lot more and it feels a lot less like a chore, mm-hmm. which I think is the Nanorimo model. A little bit that you have to finish, which I sort of, yeah.
2: But I mean, nobody gives you that pressure except yourself. No, there's no, yeah. like, if you don't do it, nobody. But you
1: got like notifications to tell you how great you are when you do finish enough words in one day. I see. I very easily influenced you. I see.
0: <laughs> you get notifications for finishing like words, what
1: on Nanorimo. Um, like they give you, they, they like congratulate you for your progress.
0: Oh, there's a web page we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I didn't have <laughs> another choice. I don't write prose.
1: I would recommend it for people who just struggle to sit down and write. Mm-hmm. Which I don't do anymore, so that's good. I should mm-hmm.
2: probably try it once, but it's so much.
1: Like it's a thousand no, one hundred and six. No, one thousand six hundred and something words every day, mm-hmm. in for one month.
0: Mm-hmm. That is quite a lot. Mm -hmm. It's quite daunting. Mm -hmm. Also, especially in November when university starts to get really busy.
2: Yeah, well not for me because I'm not studying anymore.
0: Uh Um, Teachers don't need to work. Work Um, is
2: is, is starting. Yeah, you're
0: right. uh, The first couple of years of being a teacher, I don't think they're very um, leisurely.
2: Well, then I just write at night and uh, live off coffee during the day. Mm -hmm. I can do Mm -hmm. it. Um, Just so pick a different one. I'm interested. Did you ever write creatively in German as well?
1: Mm, I, after reading your thing, I tried German and English. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a friend of mine, well, two friends of mine actually, um, writes creatively in German. Mm-hmm. They're in a similar group to you in the German cool. department. Okay. Which um, uh, I sort of tried. But and I really like their texts. But when I write in German, I can't shake the sort of sarcastic undertones at all. It's just, <laughs> it's just all uh, I, the sentences are much longer, and there's so many unneeded just uh, words, just being facetious mm-hmm. and showing off with language. And I didn't like that tone much. I okay. I used that uh, so uh, I prefer English, but I did try German yeah.
2: Interesting. Very interesting.
1: And of course, a lot of academic writing is in German and English. So, mm-hmm. because I do history as well, so so that's probably where the tendency comes from to write really wordy sentences because mm-hmm. see it, like at university they sort of encourage having long sentences and lots of clauses. Yeah. Oh, maybe not I for guess. you, but I don't know yeah. I was
2: always encouraged to write
1: short short sentences well maybe you time. have ridiculously long <laughs> sentences to start with
2: yes I do, my, my German teacher usually re, kind of scolds me for that because she said you're doing yourself nothing good because you're shit at comma placement mm-hmm. so you have to correct the whole sentence every time you miss a comma and she, <laughs> was, she was so right at some point I was like, ok it's 5 lines, 1 sentence just because of Two commas that I missed.
1: Do you find commas really hard now that you have to compare English and German rules? Because I do.
2: I was never really good at comma placing in German, mm-hmm. and I'm even worse in
0: English. Oh, I'm better in English because there's less commas needed, I think. I think English is a bit easier to And also, yeah? the clauses, when, when there's a comma needed for a clause, it's just more obvious, I think. Mm-hmm. But if there's none, none before that, and then. We also did more theory in English, probably. I mean, I probably did lots of theory in middle school for comma placement, but it's been a long time.
2: (laughs) But I mean, in English, every native speaker I talk to basically just says, Oh, it's just up to you. If you want a comma, put it there. If not, then (laughs) leave it out. And then I'm like, okay, then I never put a comma anywhere. And then I'm kind of scolded for not having any commas. And I'm like, but you said it was up to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's complex.
2: (laughs) Um, Anything else? Yes. I have more questions that's a kind of a big question but can you kind of try to say why you write or why you started again
1: mm, well I guess sort of being very interested in in reading and generally stories like I was really like movies and I really like analyzing them reading about how they're made mm-hmm. that, just, that just sort of naturally made me want to like when I saw what I perceived as a sort of mistake mm-hmm. to do, well then the obvious answer is, well, let's see you do it better. And then I thought, yeah, that mm-hmm. could be that could be interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. Cool.
1: So which is why I'm now sort of working in order to try out more fantasy stuff and doing lots of stories about mermaids, which is the sort of mm-hmm. um testing ground setting I've chosen. Mm-hmm. And that uh, a lot of those um deal with just issues I have with sort of, uh, trends in fantasy, just sort of trying to
0: subvert them. Okay. What okay. are the, the trends currently in fantasy? <laughs>
1: I'm really out of the loop. I don't actually know about current fantasy a lot. Okay. So just when I say currently, I mean, I really mean the ones I happen to have read. Okay. And, and I happen to hear about, and it's more so movies than uh, literature, I think.
0: The last time I was on board with the current trends was when the Aragon movie uh, books came out. Okay. With uh, whatever, what's his name, what's his face, the author Christopher Paolini. yeah, who never did anything again. Oh, okay. okay. Vanished. Okay. Did he ever publish anything again?
2: I have no idea, but.
0: I mean, he probably is pretty rich. Now. Oh no!
2: I think he did. I actually think he did. I think there's a second book series by him. That's much less famous. Uh huh. Did you like Eragon?
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I didn't like the last book as much, but I, I liked them up to the last oh, book. Oh
2: wait, but yeah, I guess it makes sense because you are a few years younger than me, so you yeah. we were at the right age probably. Yes I was, yeah. When I read the first one, I found it incredibly boring the okay. whole time, until the last chapter, the last chapter was super, super, super exciting. And then I was what? now it's ending? Oh my god. And then I wasn't kind of in the mood
1: to buy okay. <laughs> That is one of the annoying trends that's uh, there is uh, apparently a lot of fantasy art authors feel like they have to have a sort of cliffhanger at the end. And they in turn do not feel obligated to in any way finish the story in one <laughs> book, which of course they shouldn't be, but it's something I would I think usually prefer sort of a complete story, and then another complete story, <laughs> which is obviously preference. But mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Oh. Do you think that's maybe influenced by George R. R. Martin, whose books I also read? Mm-hmm. That's also the one of the, the only thing I added uh, that read really, that was with the trend, I guess.
1: He he, sort of never. Yeah, that's true. He also falls into that category. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about it, yeah. It's just. I think it's also the market. It's just expected of like a, a fantasy epic to be at least a, a trilogy, if not more. Mm. Mm. So fair, but
0: yeah. Guess that's also really. really I've heard a lot about um, Harry Potter. Kind of, you know, was uh, early two thousands ending in the nineties, and they really set um, the the book market for new fantasy mm. and yeah. for kids literature these days. So. Everybody else is really um, going back to Harry Potter and looking at how, why was Harry Potter this successful and trying to copy it and reverse engineer it and do it again. It's so interesting
2: because it barely didn't even get published. Like, she sent it out to so many publishing houses Mm -hmm. and they all turned it down because they said it's too long and too complex for a child's children's story. And then one of the publishers gave it to his eight-year-old daughter to read And she loved it so much and urged him to publish it. And then he did.
0: Yeah, it really founded a new trend in publishing. There's this great video by Lindsay Ellis on YouTube. There's a new series for for, um, PBS Mm -hmm. in America on YouTube. And she also talks about um, how... I think in a video she talks about how the Harry Potter books and the Lord of the Rings movies set um,
1: well, and the market well. Really I think that, yeah. And she, and she also talks about how Harry Potter paved the way for Lord of the Rings to even be in the cinema. Yeah. Because uh, it was a sort of... It was an incredibly fantastic stories of uh, of course, Harry Potter, but it was still set in the real world and, and you had all these links to public schools, which is, like, incredibly entrenched in the history of Britain and also Britain-British children's stories because it was... At least superficially, very similar to Lord Dahl, and the first two movies because of that, also were very similar to Roald Dahl uh adaptations. So th- it was easier to get Harry Potter out, and with that, the sort of our acceptance as a viewing and reading public of fantasy sort of uh, rose, which is really
0: cool. It's so amazing. Like I think, as far as I remember, it was um, Harry Potter in like September, in, and then in, the first Lord of the Rings movie in, de- in December of the same year. Which is just ridiculous. Those two big movies of our time that really set, I don't know, that's really foundational for me mm-hmm. in my childhood. But they came out in the same year, mm-hmm. just in months, within months, months of each other. Yeah, it's really weird. I've mm-hmm. really we talking about <laughs> You see, we always do yeah. quite, uh, we get quite far from where we were in the beginning. I
2: mean, we talked about it already a little bit, but do you have... Topics or genres that you prefer, in general, like to write about. You said at the moment you're focusing Mm -hmm. on fantasy. Yeah. But is there anything else that is interesting to you?
1: Well, yeah, I sort of, if I think back on the sort of stories I've written in the last semester, it's very different sort of genres, and um, and that's very much I'm sort of trying out everything and see what I like best. But I knew from the beginning that I wanted to do fantasy and Mm sci-fi. Especially because I've really gotten back into Doctor Who lately. <laughs> so i um, sort of the trying, always trying to do like annoyingly clever time travel things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and at the beginning I just sort of did young adult stuff. And, and at the very beginning, so, so young adult stuff in the sense of just issues that I sort of vaguely remember from being a teenager and, and trying to, to deal with them. Which I I've, I've just thought was something I technically had some expertise in. Uh, what with having been a teenager <laughs> <laughs> and spending a lot of time with teenagers, which sounds dodgy, but I am a teacher, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah.
2: Is there any topic or genre you would not like to write about?
1: I haven't done romance yet, and mm-hmm. I find it very daunting. Okay. But I would also like to try that, so not really, no. Okay. Have you ever tried poetry? Uh, yeah, oh, good point. No, I wouldn't like to try poetry. I did like a I did a comedy poem about a killer robot and then I just thought it would be so much more expedient if that didn't have to rhyme and then I stopped.
0: Poetry <laughs> doesn't have, doesn't have doesn't to
1: rhyme. Well, but then I don't even know what's the difference between poetry and prose. I know I've checked, technically I'm studying the difference between those
0: things, but I'm
1: not really sure about it anyway. <laughs> it's a border. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So yeah, also I usually don't have the sort of I don't think um I I can make very rhythmic sentences, so uh that's not something I want to have people focus on when mm-hmm. I when I write.
0: How's your how do you think your your teaching and you do you do work with youth, right?
1: Yeah, so uh at uh, a sort of institute for tutoring mm-hmm. and at the youth center. How do you think that and, in- uh, influences yeah. your writing? Well, it, Aside from seeing very different, very different children, because of of course the youth center attracts people from economically less fortunate households, and the other institute, which uh, charges a lot for a ridiculous amount for tutoring, um, attracts people from richer backgrounds. So I can I can see the problems facing people from the sort of extreme ends, which is mm-hmm. quite interesting. So in that, uh, but of course I don't. I'm not. Their body. I'm not trying to be their body, and so I don't see everything about that. what they are doing, what they're worrying about, and stuff. Um, yeah, but so I, I think I'm a bit closer to their language at least, which helps. But otherwise, it's more memories from my own teenage years that help with those stories.
0: Okay. I mean, yeah, it's um, your you've been through it so you really got the
1: experience even though of course it changes a lot and and I I don't think that an adult's memories are very uh, you can trust them very well when it comes to their own childhood that's usually always good in some way
2: that's exactly would exactly be my point because I think I remember myself as a teenager Mm. wrong to be honest because the way I remember myself is not being a real typical teenager at all I never Mm. had any kind of puberty things going on. Interesting. <laughs> like, so I, I really couldn't say, okay, but just because I was a teenager, I know how teenagers are. But then again, I probably remember it wrong, because back then I probably felt like, oh my God, I don't understand the world, like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm,
1: I'm and now you understand the, the world, that's cool. You have to explain totally, it to yes, me
2: sometimes. Yes, of course. And no, no, but I think now I'm at ease with not understanding okay. it.
1: Okay.
0: When you start writing a story, do you ever have the full plot sketched out when you begin? Well, not when I start, no.
1: Because I usually start just because I think of a fun scene, and then I write that scene. And then I sort of... it then spirals out from there.
0: Yeah.
1: So I don't start at the beginning, which is why I can do the beginning once I have thought of the ending, sort of.
0: But do you know in the beginning where you're going? Do you have an end in mind?
1: Usually not when I start, well, very vaguely when I start the very first scene, but then it usually goes quite quickly. Now that I have experimented a bit more with fantasy and sci-fi, where there is actual world building required, I have noticed that that is uh, not ideal. So now I need to sort of do a bit uh, of sketches to write uh, what the world will be like, what the characters will be like, what the rules are, if there is anything supernatural involved, what the rules are with that and stuff Mm -hmm. like that.
0: Oh, I, I remember, what was it called? No, you know um, Patrick Rothfuss of the uh, Kingkiller Chronicle? I don't think so. If you haven't read these books, you should read them. They're Interesting. the best fantasy I've Ooh. probably ever read. They're just so good. Mm-hmm. And he used to do a podcast, I don't think he's doing it anymore, with Max Tankin, the guy, one of the guys who um, came up with Cards Against Humanity.
2: Ah, uh, cool. And
0: they're both just super cool guys, and they used to have a podcast. And some episodes, um, Pat Rothfuss would would talk about um, um, the way he writes his books, and it went really in depth. We, you know, he really talked about the rules. So he has like his own money systems, mm-hmm. different currencies, and then he talked about how he came up with the currencies and how the currency works and why the currencies are this way. Well, the currencies wow. tell oh, us okay. about the people. Okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's really going above and really beyond, but yeah, definitely. I, it's mean, I mean,
2: it's like Tolkien inventing whole languages, I mean, Elfisch, yeah. and that he, he really didn't have, need to do that, but he wanted to yeah. because, he,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it just gives so much more to a story because it feels m- much more real.
1: It definitely makes it easier for the author to make the world, world feel lived in. It's just he doesn't have to come up with something new every second, he just can draw on something. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Game of Thrones guy, George R. R. Martin does that as well. And he now has so much of that stuff planned out, so many maps and drawn that were never in the books, that he employs uh, two secretaries who, who tell him <laughs> what his world is like. So he's really ridiculously over the top. And that's right. <laughs> so I don't think I would go that far anytime soon. But especially with time travel, I really had to, like, draw diagrams and find out Mm. where... But yeah,
2: it gets complicated. Yes. (laughs) It
1: really does. Oh, you did a memory story, right? Yeah. Was that That similarly difficult? It was
2: tricky sometimes, yeah, because...
1: Like a memory loss story, I mean. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's a shame that none of you could read the whole thing in one go, because...
1: I only got the ending.
2: I know, I know. (laughs) Because what I did, actually, is that in the first part, Mm. there are some chapters written from one character's point of view, and then others from the other character's point of view, and that one character's point of view in the beginning is something that you just read and you think, aha, okay, it's just her thoughts, but later on you realise that's what, that's actually her memories that she had, but you don't notice, no, because you don't know that they lost their memory yet. It's, it's a bit cryptic when I explain now, but it's supposed to be because I don't want to spoil.
1: Yeah, I know it.
2: <laughs> About the story so much. But yeah, it was complicated because then I was like, okay, did I already write this? Does this make sense now? Do I have to give more information? Then I had to go back and read and I was like, okay, this doesn't work.
1: The good thing is an author can do that because that sort of um, uh, contemplation sounds a lot like what the writers of like Doctor Who have to do. But in a TV format, they can't go back and fix what they've messed up in previous episodes. So... Mm. If you, if you watch every week and just like see the show, that usually makes perfect sense, but then if you go back and rewatch all the episodes, there are lots of mistakes in there. Really? Yeah. That's well, it, like the whole River Song thing, if you remember that.
0: Yeah, it's right. Right. it doesn't work out yeah, if you no, play right. it out. But that's um, what's his face? Moffat. Moffat is just, he's just not that good a writer. I think his first season
1: with The Eleven Doctor was brilliantly brilliantly planned out.
0: I think he's a good writer on a small scale, but not for, when he, you know, he always tries to one-up himself. really I think it's just uh,
1: the, the medium of TV that he's having trouble there, with there, because you can't, uh, you can't look back. And, because if you write this sort of stuff, you can just write the ending and then make everything fit in, in the beginning, but he can't do that. Mm-hmm. So unless he writes everything before, him, which he did for this, the first season of The Eleventh Doctor, but he didn't oh, from yeah. then on. Okay. Of course. I, mean, I see that's what the problem is.
2: First of all, I don't think he writes everything. He has other writers who write him. True.
1: But he sort of does the Yeah, I know. He's in charge of yeah. everything.
2: But then I remember that one episode where they had these gas masks and said, Are you my mommy? Oh, he
1: was amazing. That? The empty child and the doctor dances.
2: And then, And then later on, like five or six or even ten episodes later, mm. there was something completely different happening and for some reason the doctor finds a gas mask and he puts it on and says are you my mummy and <laughs> it was so hilarious So they did that I, yeah. I think it was one of the most hilarious TV moments
1: of my life
0: for all of the people so who happen to have seen both of those episodes yes
2: of course yeah. because you only understand it then but yeah but I think
0: that was the time when he was he wasn't the lead writer yet but he was just writing like single episodes how mm-hmm. oh, did he do those that yeah, two parts I think that, uh, cool. they did I watched um, I think it's it's um, Another YouTube video, <laughs> all over there, recommendations can recommend it if you to go today. Um, I think it's by um, H Bomber Guy on YouTube, if you know him. No. He also talks about like movies and cool. porn culture. And he did um, an episode uh, that, that was called, uh, a video that's called, um, Sherlock is Garbage and Here's Why. Well, where that's, that's not confrontational at all. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, he also talks about, he talks a lot of shit about morphites. And he also yeah. uh, talks about Doctor Who because the yeah, AC the same problems Obviously, as the yeah. in, uh, in Sherlock. And yeah, uh, that's where I get most of my, my ideas from. <laughs> because, well, yeah, from, from critics. Yeah, from the Australian critic, because it was just, it's, just, it's just so brilliant It's to really mm. explained. it, it makes so much sense. But, yeah, I, I noticed these things while I watched the series Doctor Who, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I yeah. didn't know what was wrong, it just felt weird, like the whole River Song thing. I was so confused by it, and
1: but I, I just thought, I, just thought was I was confused. To be confused. The problem is when you then go back and try and map out her timeline, it doesn't work. That's yeah. sort of the, the word falls down. Yeah. I, like, I really like being confused by it, but then, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem is Moffat wants to make it really, maybe this is also, maybe I'm taking this in my memory the from problem. the video, but I think the problem is Moffat tries to be really, you know, he tries to make it really complicated, and he tries to impress all the people, but he's, it's just not quite good enough to make it work Maybe, out. Maybe, anyway. but also, I,
2: I, it doesn't have to make sense.
0: I, I, I don't that know. is, that is always
1: has, has always been the saving grace of Doctor Who because Doctor Who had never had a strict canon. But of course, you can always say oh, time travel and alternate dimensions; everything can happen.
0: But there used to be rules for Doctor Who.
1: It was never consistent. That's if you look. In
0: the first couple of new seasons were quite consistent. Oh rules. well, yeah, possibly. And then they started but, breaking them with
1: profits. Yeah. Well, I would contest that. I don't, maybe. Think, I don't think it
2: has to be entirely logical. <laughs> no,
1: no, of course not. That's just a fun thing to try out for, for Incredible Nerds, to try out and, and piece together. But yeah, mm-hmm. of course, it's... Especially like, uh, what's his face? Um, Russell D. Tav- D. T. Davies from the first three, four series. He was always about the sort of emotional payoff before the... Clever time travel stuff, mm-hmm. which I think I usually
0: prefer. Me too, I also prefer Russell C. Davis' yeah. script writing. Alright, I think we've done enough gone, about Doctor Who. Yeah, we've gone quite a f- far away from <laughs> anything that's mainly, well it is, are still talking <laughs> about writing and the internet <laughs> of writing. So um, is there any place where the people can find you on the internets? Oh, not
1: really. I have a Twitter, which I rarely use. Which is just a toady at just a toady. There nice. you go.
0: <laughs> there you um, go. You're not going to plug your blog in?
2: Um, it's already been mentioned so many times. Yeah. I think I've advertised it enough for a while.
0: Okay. I'm on Twitter at. Should we have asked you? Sorry. No, no. I, okay. I'm, I'm the, I can ask myself. <laughs> I'm a big boy. <laughs> I can ask myself. You are a big boy. <laughs> Uh, I'm at Leo Engelmeyer on Twitter. This was episode 16 of the Universe Podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe Podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review to tell us what you think and help other people find the podcast. And tell all your friends about it. Comments, questions... You can reach us on Twitter, we're at poduniverse, on Facebook, or on our email address podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeier. The co-host was Charlotte Zerz. Our guest on this episode was Andreas Lausberger. On the editorial board for this episode was Charlotte Zertz, and me, of course. I hope you visit this planet in the Universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thanks for listening.